Happy Wednesday, Technically Female Tribe. It's Jasmine here for another episode of the Technically Female Podcast. Hope everyone's having an amazing week. Can't believe it's already October. What is going on? Anywho, I have a amazing guest with me today, Adelaide. How are you? Hello. Hey, Jasmine. I'm doing so, so well. How are you? You know, blessed. That's all I can say. Hashtag <laughs> blessed over here. <laughs> Yes, I feel you. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, so I'm glad we're finally getting a chance to sit down. I'm so glad to have you and learn more about you, and I'm sure the tribe is going to be equally inspired by our talk today. And so before we get started, you know, let us know a little bit about who are you and a little bit about your journey so far. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of who I am, there are so many different places to start. In my work context, I'm a thinker, I'm a strategist, I'm an active listener, I synthesize information, and I try to be a friend and a partner to everyone I work with. Mm -hmm. But outside of work, other ways to think about who I am, and we'll talk about how that figures into work as well. My parents are from Ghana, so I'm a Ghanaian American. I grew up on the East Coast in Maryland, but I live in Oakland, California now, so I've seen that bi-coastal lifestyle lived in Philly for a few years, New York for a few years, and I went to undergrad at Princeton. So that's me just as a person. And in terms of my career, I really never planned to have a career in STEM. I was an English <laughs> at all. I was an English major in undergrad, and I spent a lot of my time working with other organizations on campus that were more oriented towards nonprofits and more mm -hmm. oriented towards the arts. So I was a DJ. I ran our radio station. I worked in a group all about students working for education reform in undergrad, but never thought that I was going to do anything lately, re remotely related to <laughs> science, technology, etc. So in, in my background, when I was looking for that first job out of college, quite frankly, I just wanted a job that was going to pay my student loans. Oh, I did I feel not, that. <laughs> you feel that. And a lot of us feel that I did not have wiggle room. Mm -hmm. So I decided to apply for jobs in supply chain operations. I had no idea what that was, but my best friend over at University of Maryland was studying supply chain and she said, you can do this. It's fine. So... <laughs> I said, great, I'm going to apply for jobs. And I ended up getting a job in a management development program. So I worked as a people manager and as an operational supervisor. And I was working in many different departments over the course of three years. I worked in our billings department, customer information, marketing, financial control and risk management, and call center operations. Wow. And then after I had spent three years at that company, I went over to an HR tech company. So I worked at a mentorship platform SaaS company where primarily my buyers were in learning and development or in some sort of diversity function mm -hmm. who were building, configuring, and then conducting mentorship, mentorship platforms mm -hmm. and programs. So in both of those environments, I was one of the only young black people and <laughs> one of the only young black women in the space. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that one... I mm. probably could uh, not be working and be on a island somewhere. <laughs> but it's really, we retire happy. <laughs> retire happy. But it's it's really interesting because I feel like for most of the guests thus far that have been on the Technically Female podcast, it's been the reverse. It's like they knew they wanted to be in STEM. They started in, like, they studied STEM, and now they're pursuing that. So I love 
your perspective and your journey because I think there's a huge misconception of like to be in tech and to be in STEM fields, you have to have all these, you know, uh, this background and this particular like journey or career trajectory. And from what I'm hearing from you, it's it's been totally different. So I always love the diversity of backgrounds and experiences to really provide to the tribe of like, there's a lot of different ways you can maneuver. And like you said, like you never thought that you would be in STEM if someone had asked you 10 years ago. And so did you find that, you know, it was hard to pivot in or did you just kind of like go with the flow and uh, just accepted your new uh, normal that was unexpected for you? Yeah, for me, the pivot in was not super challenging. And I have to recognize that I've acquired privileges throughout my educational and professional career. Mm. So my move from working in a more traditional company to working in tech came because I was connected to someone on LinkedIn who was a recruiter. Ah. So I applied for a job, right, exactly. So I applied for a job at that company. I wasn't accepted for that job, but they wanted to have continuing conversations with me. And I certainly won't pretend that having the name brand of Princeton on your resume doesn't help you. I think you and I both sure. know very well the differences that can come when whether you have the name brand of a certain company that you've gotten a role mm -hmm. at or a school that you went to. So for me personally, the pivot wasn't as challenging. The most the most challenging thing was adjusting to the new kind of pace of operations mm. and the expectations when working in a tech company for the first time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that pace is something serious. <laughs> it is uh, a full-on sprint with the marathon distance. <laughs> right, as evidenced by, you know, both of us trying to mute our Slack notifications right. uh, for it's this call. It's always something going on, right? It keeps you, um, I always say it keeps you on your toes. And I think I, I love that you hit about, like, the environment and really getting exposed to it because it's, it's a different type of beast. And, like, you got to be flexible and agile and you got to, like, just – I always joke with my coworkers, like, you got to be a little scrappy, right? And I don't think yep. there's a class in college about scrappy 101, but there should be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Badly needed. For sure. And so you mentioned a little bit about um, SAS, and so that always triggers my brain of, like, analytics. Um, I used to – actually, my first internship ever was at SAS, um, which is a funny story. Um, but, like, yeah. they were the first uh, tech company to give me a, a chance as a freshman um, which was amazing, but you, you know, you've had exposure in your professional career to the world of analytics and analytics is such a big, uh, buzzword keyword. Everybody wants to know about analytics. Everybody wants to uh, look at data. Um, but so what piqued your interest in analytics and can you give us kind of an overview of what analytics is? Cause I think, you know, we hear it as a buzzword, but like, what is it and how did you get interested in that? Yes, absolutely. Great question. So in terms of what analytics is, I really started learning about analytics when I was growing up through my dad. So my dad worked as a government contractor. He does large data projects for the government. And he always said that he was a storyteller. 100% of the time, <laughs> he would say that his job was to be a storyteller. And I see myself as a storyteller, in particular, when you're thinking about analytics and the kind of work that I do. Mm -hmm. I tend to think about analytics as being the field of using a multitude of different types of information, structured and unstructured information, to tell a story. Mm. So in a business context, that story is intended to help the business make decisions mm -hmm. about what will be most profitable, what will help make them achieve their goals, and what will help ensure 
that they're mitigating against possible risk. So what piqued my interest was really the power that it gave you to prove something. Mm. My first analytics projects, I would not have even known that word. I would not have used that word to describe what I did. Essentially, I was in a financial control and risk management role where I had to audit information about our operations. And over the course of several months, I got so bored of the work that I was doing that I went to my boss and I said, we need to stop doing some of this work. And essentially, she said to me, great. I intrinsically trust you, but you need to be able to prove it. And that's what really started me down that path to pulling the data, being able to tell the story that we could change the type of work that we were doing. Fast forward five, six years. Now I'm looking at that as analytics and doing that within the context of customer success in my current role. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. I love how you broke down what analytics is because it's a it's a myth. Like it's just these words that you hear, and and I think sometimes people hear analytics and they hear dollar signs, right? It's like, ooh, I can make money by being an right. analytics, <laughs> right? Which you can, which you can for sure. And we have an amazing insights and analytics team at my current company where I'm working handshake where they're they're telling the story internally they're telling the story externally and hopefully you know getting getting their dollars for it yeah no for sure and I think so to your point telling the story and so many key decisions are being made off of numbers analytics and if you had to ask this like 10 years ago if we would be where we are now with numbers and data really driving key business decisions and allocations of funds that you know, companies, you would say, no way, like, you'll never have the tools to do that. Um, and so it's really an interesting concept. So if it goes back to like, you know, the, the M part of STEM, like math, like if you like numbers, man, you can get into data. I, I love numbers. And I spend my nights looking at data. I always say I could have did analytics, but I like what I do. Yes. Now. <laughs> but it's like fun. Like, I'm like, ooh, I, I saw this cool new dashboard, or this new like, tableau. And I'm like, Oh, this is cool. I just geek out off, off of that stuff. So it's if you're interested in a tribe, like there's definitely lots of work, uh, definitely on the in the tech side. And, and I'm sure the corporate and other organizations there you can get lost in the numbers um, often. <laughs> Absolutely. And there are so many, so many free courses online too that help people do that. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Every, I mean, anything you ever could want to learn is online these days. Um, I want to talk a little bit about something you mentioned earlier um, and that's about, you know, being a woman uh, in the space. And so I want to talk a little bit about your personal experience. How have you dealt with women being in competition with one another and what advice do you have to mitigate this type of environment? If you haven't been in this environment, totally get it. But I figured I would ask um, if you've dealt with it and how you, and if you haven't, how would you deal with it or how do you mitigate that type of um, uh, environment? Right, right. I've absolutely dealt with all kinds of competition, regardless of the gender, regardless of the role, so much competition in the workplace. When working with women in the workplace, I have experienced competition as well. And I have two pieces of advice for how to mitigate that environment. And I say that as someone who can be quite competitive. I've oftentimes mm -hmm. been the instigator of the competition the competitive feeling. And oftentimes when women talk about this, we talk about what it's like to experience that competition, um, but perhaps feeling like someone else is more competitive next to you. So I want to, I want to share from the perspective of someone who sometimes has perpetrated that <laughs> negative competition. The first piece of advice is to remember that 
making someone else look bad is in no way going to make you look good in business. Right. You know exactly what I mean. There will always be mistakes. We are always human. Some mistakes are big. Some mistakes are small, but you absolutely will gain more capital, relational capital with Mm -hmm. the person who you're working with, with your superiors, with direct reports by saying, hey, something went wrong. How can we work on this together? Mm -hmm. And when I was younger in my career, I brought a bit more of an academic mindset to some of our conversations at work where Mm -hmm. I felt that I wanted to be the one to get that best grade. I wanted to be top of the class. And I think I would perpetuate a certain type of competition in conversations with leadership where another woman or someone else might share information and Mm. I would, you know, almost tear them down because Mm -hmm. I would be asking such rigorous, difficult questions, (laughs) (laughs) but not in a way that was helpful. So Mm. I learned to try to reorient that energy. And the second piece of advice is that it's truly about trust. Mm. I'm sure you feel this every oh, single I'm day. Feel, you, heard, you heard it in my voice. Mm, trust. Every single. Trust. And you need to be able to trust that people have your back mm-hmm. more than ever in the environment that we're in right now when we're trying to figure out how to bring anti-racism to work, how mm-hmm. to show up as a black person at work, how to show up as a woman at work. You need to be able to trust the people around you. So I think starting with trust and making sure that you don't try to uplift yourself by bringing others down. Oh, I mean, where do you even begin? <laughs> that, <laughs> like all the things, LA, all the things. Trust is so huge. I always say, like, if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. I mean, that's at work, mm. that's in personal relationships, that's in mm. dating relationships. Like, if we don't have trust, we have nothing. Like, I have nothing to say to you, <laughs> pretty much. And I think it's that mindset of like you talked a little bit about like asking questions and making sure you're asking questions with the right intent versus asking questions to be difficult and I think sometimes especially as as females are I think we are very a lot of us are very analytical a lot of us are like want to know why because we want to understand right but sometimes it's 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 that tone it's how you come across you know you may just be wanting to know to like for your own reference and to be educated but sometimes depending on your tone and and how you approach that person like it can come off as like why do why are they uh I'll use the word being abrasive or like confrontational um so there's a there's a muscle with how you uh navigate through that but I I think too it's like if you don't to your point have that trust that I always say like foundational relationship right like you gotta build relationships with people with people you can't just automatically have trust overnight right like you gotta lay the foundation you got to get to know people, you got to have credibility, you got to show well intentions, right? And then once all those things kind of put together, then that's how you kind of are able to uh, really get buy-in from other people and really, you know, uh, get, you know, advocacy and people to support you and want to work with you. And I, I found in my, the earlier part of my career, like, I didn't, it wasn't necessarily a competition with women. Like, I was always very like, hey, I'm going to help other women because like, I got help through my career and like through Mm. college, like I never was going to turn a blind eye to a female because of us being in competition. But I found um, on the opposite side, there weren't a lot of females that were reaching back. Like one of the things that one of my mentors always says to me is like, as you climb and as you move forward, like you need to have that hand behind you, reaching behind you to lift someone else up. And I felt like for me, I had more men reaching behind behind them than females. And it was just a really interesting dynamic. And so I'm glad we're talking mm. about this because 
it's one thing that you don't really know when you get into certain, you know, working environments. They don't really prep you for that. Right. And the last thing I'll say about trust is that I think building trust is a muscle that you have to build. You have to actively practice. Mm -hmm. It involves reaching out to people to Mm -hmm. ask, how can I help you Mm -hmm. before you reach out to them to ask them to help you. It means if you're like me and you have the memory of a goldfish, (laughs) setting a lot of reminders for yourself. Lots of notepads. So many notepads and so many rigorous systems. And then doing that truly for years at a time to make it into a habit so that it's built into every interaction that you have. Yeah, no, it's it's important. It's a system and it's got to be a habit, right? Like you can't just say, okay, for these first three months of the year, I'm going to do this. Like you got, it's <laughs> consistency. Like people notice consistency. Like they notice it, they admire it, they respect it, but they also know like, huh, like, you know, Adelaide says this, but like a month later, it's not, you know, what she says is, is going to happen. So you're, you're, it's a part of your brand, right? Um, like Exactly. Oh, for sure. Oh, I could talk about this topic all day, but I won't. So next thing I want to talk about <laughs> is um, a little bit about uh, problem solving. So you had mentioned to me that you assist others in synthesizing variables for successful achievement of their goals. Um, what are some problem solving methods you utilize in your attempts to best execute your support? Like, what does that process look like? Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll say the problem-solving methods that I've used across my various teams have differed, but there are a few core threads that span from company to company. So I'll talk about a few of those. You always have to have core questions that you orient yourself around to answer any any problem. Mm -hmm. So the first question that I always ask, at least in the SaaS context, is who's the customer? Mm -hmm. When you're working at a startup, especially in the stage where you're trying to become profitable, (laughs) you really cannot treat every single lead that potentially comes to your team in the same way. Mm -hmm. There are absolutely differences and nuances in the profile of every single person who comes to you. And none of them deserve any less quality service from you but the approach and the strategies that you take are very much going to differ so having a really clear understanding of who's the customer but i'll take that to the next level who's the customer just doesn't mean what's their industry and what's their domain it means what is their importance to your business Mm -hmm. and let that drive every decision that you make Mm -hmm. because whether you're mitigating the risk of not bringing them on board as a partner whether you're mitigating the risk of potentially losing them as a partner you need to understand understand their worth in your specific business context Mm -hmm. and use that to determine how much resource is going to go to the problem. So Mm -hmm. who's the customer is one of that first is one of those first methods for problem solving. The second one is asking, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Mm. And this, both of these questions actually came from my first working experience, and we would not be in a single meeting without people asking those two questions. (laughs) I'm I'm sure you have those equivalents at work now where it's like, no matter what meeting you're in, you're always asking those questions. Mm -hmm. What is the problem you're trying to solve? If you can't articulate the background, the impact, Mm -hmm. the context 
again, the, the future risk to your business that's going to be exposed. If you can't think through from the first time something comes in the door to what it's going to look like leaving the building, essentially, that's me coming in with the supply chain operations <laughs> mindset. <laughs> you're, you're not going to be able to resolve this. Mm-hmm. And so I find that oftentimes people really jump to trying to come up with and brainstorm solutions before even having a global understanding of the problem. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised that these two questions can actually answer so many business problems faster than going through an, an entire, you know, racy model, rapid <laughs> model, risk assessment. There's so many different models that different companies like mm-hmm. to use and it really matters to speak your company's language. So <laughs> making yeah. sure you're using the model that you see your leadership and your executive teams using. But by asking those two questions, you can solve almost any problem. No, for real. That's so good. And I I think about like I'd been on projects uh, before earlier in my career where it's like the thought is when there's a problem, let's just put more people on it. Let's just put mm. more money to it. And like I learned very quickly, like usually if you're in a situation where the team or the organizations like put more money, more people, that's a bad sign. Like that does not fix the issue. Like the real issue is what is your customer need? What do they want? How can we get there, you know, to their, what they're trying to solve and what is the actual issue? Because I think so often it's like, oh, like, let me put a bandaid on it. Right. Or let me like go through 10 different hoops to try to solve something that to your point can be answered into simple questions. And, you know, I think, it's hard too when you, if you have a STEM background, and like I said, I mentioned, like you, your brain just operates in a different way. And I, I didn't realize it until I got around um, in, in, the, in the working world, people that weren't engineers or that weren't, you know, technically savvy, like, and that's not in a, in a negatory way, but just like, I realized like, I'm a little weird because like, I would <laughs> solve problems and they're like, how did you do that so fast? I'm like your brain, like, I just assumed like, this is normal. Like, no, that's not normal. Like my brain does not function that way. Like, I don't think that fast or I can't break down piece like piecemeal things and it's an interesting like dynamic it's sometimes scary but a lot of times it's really fun because it's like someone's like freaking out and like hold on like let's think about it the answer is one those two questions just gave and it's like boom done this is maybe how we could do it or how we thought about this and like oh no I didn't think about that so I think another point to to what you're saying is taking time and space to think right like yeah don't jump in with the answer because sometimes that can be portrayed as oh like jasmine knows it all or oh like she's just trying to like fix this but doesn't really to your point understand the background know the root of it because there's could be a lot of layers that you need to unpeel to really solve it in a way that's going to be best for whomever you're trying to support yes and and over time i'm sure you found this as well it gets faster. The mm-hmm. ability to mentally work through that process gets faster. I was in a meeting today where someone posed a question and even though I hadn't spent too much time thinking about the problem we were trying to solve, we had solved the problem twice before just mm-hmm. for different seasons of our work. Mm-hmm. So I was able to call back to that and say, here's step one, two, three, four. Okay, I, I forgot step three B. So let's add that in. And by the end of the meeting, have a rough working model for how we wanted to solve that problem. Yeah. 
two years ago, I could not have done that. And it would have taken me freaking out, out, spending a lot of time interviewing people internally, listening, talking. So it gets, it gets faster with those two questions. Mm -hmm. I think when I was earlier on in my career, answering what is the problem you're trying to solve could take, you know, weeks at a time. Right. Yeah. And I think too, and this is going to get to my next question. It's all about also surrounding yourself with people that maybe not necessarily subject matter experts, but like can help you through the problem. Like it's really important. Like you can't solve everything by yourself. Like you need a team, you need a group of people. And speaking to that, um, my next question for you is why is diversity of gender, race, sexual, sexual orientation and thought within a team essential to its success in your opinion? Yes. And what a fabulous question. I've had so many conversations about this with a friend of mine, um, Dr. Melissa Abad. She works at Stanford University and Mm -hmm. she specifically studies the experience of black women in tech finance consulting business, all these high powered industries. She's fab. Yes, she's fabulously brilliant. And one of the things that she talks about is the technical case for diversity. So Mm -hmm. she talks quite a lot about how if tech is going to do what it's oftentimes designed to do, to scale, to provide the same opportunities to a multitude of people, Mm -hmm. you need people who are going to introduce the unique challenges and variables to various customer bases. Mm -hmm. You need people who are going to introduce unique problems to those customer bases in order to capture the market. I personally love diversity because I love working with people who either look like me, don't look like me, represent lots of different places, Mm -hmm. can teach me something new. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to try actually pretty hard to build a team that's not diverse. I think there are a lot of people who are trying to not find the diverse candidates Mm -hmm. and they're, they're saying there's a pipeline issue when there truly isn't a pipeline issue. But if you have to take it away from just the belief that diversity is inherently good, it will help you address those two problems that I mentioned before. A practical example of that would be if I were working on a platform that was designed to help people who are trans with their transportation issues. Mm -hmm. That's something that I've heard about a lot this summer that Mm -hmm. I care about very deeply, but I myself am not a trans person. So Mm it would be wrong of me to try to design a product to solve a problem that they have without actually consulting who is this customer and what are the nuances of the problem that they're encountering. Yeah, for sure. Because then it's like I'm speaking on behalf of a group that I know nothing about. And, right. you know, and a lot of times I've heard, like, that's where a lot of organizations miss when it comes to products. It's like I was trying to solve something for a group of people I don't know and uh, backlash, like, you didn't meet the mark or you didn't really address, like, things that I deal with. I think about, I don't remember what the example was, but I feel like it may have been Nike. I don't know. It was something about, like, uh, their athletic, their athleisure or something. And it was like, at one point, it was really only for, um, you know, those that were uh, tiny or smaller. It didn't really encapsulate inca- right. those that, you know, all sh- by shapes and sizes. And so you're missing out on the market. And from a company standpoint, you're missing out on money, like profit, um, which is always important. But from a um, human standpoint, like you need people from all different walks of life, race, creed, gender, sexual orientation, race. Like Ugh. it's really important. I find, I found that when I started my career, like I got exposed to a lot of cultures that I had never really, like I had known surface level, but like spending time with people, understanding the, the dynamics of different countries and then going into being able to travel to that specific country. I was like, Oh man, like I had no idea. And like one thing for me was like, 
going to university and going to uh, work, I was like, I really want to be in an environment where it is diverse. Like I want to be with different types of people because I had ends of the extreme and in, in growing up in school where I had one extreme where it was one group of, you know, one race and then in high school, a different extreme. And I was like, man, I want to be around everybody. And I don't know. I found that that really set me up for success um, uh, and really being able to make that decision as an adult of like, I want to be around everyone. I love to learn about cultures and people and differences. And I like to teach people about like my culture and my differences in my life. And I think that helps people uh, grow, develop and be and be a better person than from a team standpoint, like you're like a, depending on how many people are on your team, like quadruple five-time threat when you can have yeah. you know, that uh, much difference in thoughts and, and how you process uh, problems. Absolutely. Yeah. Very much, very much resonates with my experience too. <laughs> I could talk about that all day too, but uh, we are uh, wrapping up the episode today. So at the end of every episode, I ask my guests to provide a word to the wise it can be a word, a statement, a poem, a quote, just something really to empower the tribe and leave them with for the weekend. So Adelaide, what is your word to the wise? Yes, I love this idea. So my word to the wise is going to be me sharing something that a friend of mine recently shared with me. She's been blessed with a few more decades of life than I currently <laughs> have. It's very wise. I was talking to her about some interests that I want to start pursuing and thinking about who I want to develop into and who I want to be and she said that when you're thinking about who you want to be you need to think about who you were Mm -hmm. and reference back what she meant by that was reference back to things like your childhood what brought you that joy what did you tend to gravitate towards in your earlier years and think about whether that still brings you joy so many of us have so many um, aspirations in terms of our careers our homes what our life looks like but it's important to not lose that thread of joy and Mm -hmm. who you are yeah no because there's so many things in this world that can steal your joy but you preach (laughs) but you can't let it steal your joy and being I always say to like authentically you and stay into your core no matter what I find that most people that do well and love their life and are a blessing to others really stick to that core um word to the wise you just gave so I love that so thank you for that it was a pleasure speaking with you today in, in tribe as always if you are interested in being a guest for a, a upcoming episode of the technically female podcast send an email to technically female at gmail.com otherwise share the stemonism <laughs>